that tremendous uh, song leading opening and thoughts. We enjoyed so much the remembrance time that we had, uh, remembering the Lord and also praising now in this time. We enjoyed that a lot. So. Let's uh, take a moment and uh, come to the Lord at this time. Heavenly Father, it's uh, a joy for us to gather together on this side of eternity. And as we've been singing, it will be a joy when we're called up yonder. We uh, look forward to being with you and being with each other and with all those who have gone ahead. We pray especially for those who are suffering uh, this time and uh, uh, going through this, this time of life when they come to look to that call. And we especially pray for Anna today as she uh, is in the hospital. And for her family, we pray that you would encourage and bless and uh, strengthen and uh, be there with them. We pray too for the Calhouns and their their uh, similar struggles, and we ask for your help in their lives. And for all of us, we, we think of, of whenever this time may be that you would lead us to you. We pray, Father, for, uh, for the work in Africa that Dave and Diane have been uh, sending us notices about, and we pray for their heavy hearts at this time as they suffer as well. And we remember those who are suffering in various parts of the world for your kingdom, for your name, we pray for them. Be with us this morning as we study your word and for the tremendous uh, words that you have given us that bring us courage and hope even in these days. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Titled today's talk, uh, Life After Loss, um, Jesus is, is going to go away, and uh, that's a tremendous loss. And we have some words for his that will help us, I think, in that uh, time. But I want to start out by reminding you of an old story that uh, you might have read. If everybody who's read The Hobbit, anybody hasn't read The Hobbit, it's a really good read, so you should uh, try and get through some of these books. But... Anyway, this little story uh, takes place in The Hobbit. Gandalf, who is the guy who just helps everybody uh, on that uh, story, is helping a set of dwar- a group of dwarves go on to their uh, whatever they are planning to do. And he's been helping them through really tough times and getting them together and, and being there with them, helping them through really struggles. And uh, they're just about to enter what's called Mirkwood, a really dark and dangerous place. And they're going into that opening of the forest, and Gandalf announces, you're on your own. I've got to go somewhere, and I'll maybe see you again, maybe not, but you're on your own from here on. And of course, they're all upset. The dwarves are saying, but, but we don't know, you know the, all the ways and the dangers. Aren't you going to be there to help us? Um, but uh, nothing would, they could say would uh, change his mind. Uh, 
And he said, but I'm giving you, and I'm sending you Bilbo Baggins, this little hobbit guy, to be with you, and he's going to help you. And they said, what help can he be? You know, he's a little, you know, like, what, what's he going to do? Um, but uh, as you read the story, you uh, become more aware of, of the adventures ahead and how Bilbo actually is a tremendous help to these group of 13 other dwarves. So that's a, a farewell speech that Gandalf gave. And, and as we think about uh, the story today, it's kind of a farewell speech that uh, Jesus is, is giving to his disciples. He tells them that he's going to leave them um, and that he's uh, going to uh, show them some things and tell them some things that may ease them through that time. The story we're coming to in John's Gospel is sort of near the crisis of the story, the climax of the story. Um, we've been in this, these chapters from uh, chapter 13 to the end of the, where we, to chapter 17 really, all of these uh, are this preparation time for the Jesus' departure. And that departure is going to be the climax uh, as he faces the cross ahead. And really the climax is the climax of the whole of human history at this point. We're really reaching a, a really important point in, this, in the story, the narrative that God has pr- provided us of his in, uh, working and his interactions with people throughout time. God loves people and he wanted to reveal himself to him. So he revealed himself through his uh, prophets, through his um, intercession in various events, and uh, through writings. And all of these things were pointing to a time when he would be with them and when he would appear. And then John says, and the word came and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. And Jesus revealed God to them, God's grace, God's truth. And he lived with his people. And some believed in him and some followed him. And they were excited about the things that he was doing and how he had, had uh, worked among them and had helped them, provided for them, had gotten them through some tough times, had always seemed to answer, have an answer for the opponents of, uh, of what he was teaching. And then... Of all, lo and behold, he tells them, and I'm leaving you now. And what, what's all that about? You know, Jesus gave them so much, though, in this time when he was with them. He could have said, okay, well, here's some mementos of me to remember me by. You know, here's, the, here's my robe, you can have that, and you can have my walking stick, and oh, here's a bit of hair, you can keep that, you know, you keep it close to you. But he... Let, let's all take a group photo now, you know, like, and we'll keep that in your mind. That's what we do today. We would uh, have that uh, and a plaque, and they would give him a plaque as he made his farewell speech. And, uh, and isn't it great that he did so much more than those things when we think of typical farewell speeches? But Jesus, re- or, sorry, John records the story of Jesus' last evening with his followers. Jesus taught them and made promises and gave warnings and prayed for them. Here in these verses, Jesus gives the disciples a heads up and a promise of a helper.
Steve, you can take, rest easy. I'm not going to verse 25. I'm only going to verse 15, even what the bulletin says. So. But I wanted to go back into chapter 15 just a little bit because even though our chapter starts at, our verse starts at chapter 16, it's kind of an arbitrary division there between what John is writing and it kind of splits it up, I thought. So I, I'm going to read the whole uh, section just before that in John chapter 15. And then we'll read into John chapter 16. Let's read the uh, verses. To, uh, I'll read them out of the New Living Translation. You can follow along if you are using the Pew Bibles in the NIV. It's uh, page 1677, I think. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it. But you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. They would not be guilty if I had not come and spoken to them, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Anyone who hates me also hates my father. If I hadn't done such miraculous signs among them that no one else could do, they would not be guilty. But as it is, they have seen everything I did, yet they still hate me and my father. This fulfills what is written in their scriptures, they hated me without cause." But I will send you the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. And you must also testify about me because you have been with me from the beginning of my ministry. I have told you these things so that you won't abandon your faith. For you will be expelled from the synagogues and the time is coming when those who kill you will think they are doing a holy service for God. This is because they have never known the Father or me. Yes, I am telling you these things now, so that when they happen, you will remember my warning. I didn't tell you earlier because I was going to be with you for a while longer, but now I am going away to the one who sent me. And not one of you is asking, where am I going? Instead, you grieve because of what I have told you. But in fact, it is best for you that I go away, because if I don't, the Advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you, and when he comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives from me.
So the first thing that Jesus, uh, in our verses, uh, chapter 16, 1 to 15, tells us is that he's going to give us a heads up. There are two main messages here. He's going to give us a heads up, and then he's going to talk about a helper that's to come. He wants to give them a warning that their road ahead is not going to be an easy one. They might have thought, well, he's going, but, you know, well, life will go on, we'll be... We'll be fine, but it's like Gandalf dropping the dwarves off in a really dark and dangerous place. Things are really heating up, and it's likely, Jesus tells them, that they're going to be in, in the hot water soon. They're not even just going to face some opposition. Some will even be killed because of that. And Jesus says, I've told you these things. I'm giving you the heads up so that you won't abandon your faith. You're going to be thrown out of the synagogues and... Some will kill you, and they will do this because they believe they are serving a holy God and doing it a holy service to God. Well, it didn't take long uh, after Jesus left for that to actually happen. If you flip over a few pages into Acts chapter 6 and 7, you can read the story of Stephen, how Stephen was a, a man full of the Holy Spirit who was helping with the work of the church. He was often giving his uh, testimony and telling people about Jesus and convincing them that Jesus was uh, the Messiah. But those who opposed stirred up trouble. They tried to argue with him, but Stephen would always uh, have the upper hand in any argument from God's word. And then they did what they did to Jesus. They brought forth false witnesses, people who were paid to tell the lies, and uh, they had Stephen arrested. They were accusing him of telling, uh, uh, of um, speaking against Moses and against the temple. And uh, Stephen stood before the council, same council that Jesus stood for, and defended his belief. He went through the story of God's working among his people and told them how Moses was one servant of God and how the temple was there, but that God dwelt in a greater temple. And then, he told, and then he accused these people of killing the one that God sent. Well, that did it. <laughs> they weren't going to listen to him any longer. They dragged him outside and began to throw rocks at him. And they executed him in that way. So Stephen was the first of these people that Jesus foresaw and foretold that they would suffer this fate. And he faithfully uh, faced uh, his, uh, his accusers. We can go on throughout history and there are many examples. I just picked this one, uh, William Tyndale, who lived in 1494 to 1536. He had a heart for giving the common uh, speaking people the the scriptures in their own language. He translated the Bible from uh, the original language into English. At the time, the printing press had just been developed and he printed Bibles and shipped them to England and uh, faced opposition for doing that because the the, uh, church at that time held control of the scriptures and by that they had some control over the people and they kept a hold on their power and their influence and they felt that this man was undermining it. So eventually they found where he was, they arrested him, they executed him for doing that work of God. We heard already this morning of uh, troubles in Kenya Two years ago, April the 2nd, um, we heard of a great massacre in Garissa, 
University in Kenya. David Donaldson again came here and shared his uh, story by talking to some of the people that were there, how 148 people, mostly Christian students, lost their lives that day when some religious extremists came in, sorted the Christians from the Muslims and shot the Christians and uh, killed that many of them. Those Christians paid with their lives for their faith and uh, we go on every day, uh, sorry, every week we come here, we review some of the people that are suffering and it proves what Jesus told us that, uh, that we would suffer, that the road would not be easy. And, but have people abandoned their faith? No, when these things happen, actually, we don't know what's happening in Kenya for sure, but when we've seen the other things in Acts, Stephen's death just caused the spread of the gospel as people moved away from the Jerusalem area and went on telling more and more people about the message of Jesus. William Tyndale's work became this, the foundation for many translations of the Bible, including the one that the, within a hundred years the, the King of England authorized himself. And, uh, and that uh, we still see today, the work that this man, uh, of, his, uh, of his life and his sacrifice. And I'm sure that many stories will be told in Kenya and places like China, in the Middle East, of people who are paying dearly for their faith, but that the, the Faith is not being abandoned in those places. As a matter of fact, it seems to be strengthened. Uh, so Jesus warned us and gives us the heads up that we can expect that. <coughs> the next thing he tells us about is that he is going to send a helper, an advocate. Um, he tells them he's not abandoning them. He's not just going to leave them on their own but he's sending someone to be with them, to help them. And um, he tells them that he will be send someone who will stand beside him. That's what the word uh, in Greek means, this word that we translate counselor, comforter, helper, advocate. It's someone who's called to come along and stand alongside. I was uh, only here a short time in Timmins when I got involved in a, in a criminal case. Uh, the uh, stories in the court, but uh, I was called to testify in a in a murder trial, and that was kind of unique. I thought that uh, what am I doing here? <laughs> but I was fascinated by one point. A lot of things were caught me. I was sort of riveted in the courtroom. Uh, I, I could have just come and gone and with my testimony, but I stayed and watched because it was really a, well, it was quite an interesting. So the people who do this for their life work, I'm sure it's all humdrum and boring, but for me it was interesting and fascinating. And when the accused, who I knew well, uh, was uh, going to uh, have the charges read to him, he, st- they, he stood and alongside him came the one who was going to defend him. And they stood together while these serious charges were read to them. And then they went through the, the courtroom drama and I gave my little talk and, and others. And uh, then at the end of the case, the judge, there was no jury, it was just the judge, he was going to pronounce the verdict and the judgment. And again, the defendant rose and stood and again the defense counsel came and stood alongside to support and, and support that person through these charges. And that, that's the picture of what the Holy Spirit is going to be to us. Someone who comes along and stands by us when we're going through really difficult times, when we're struggling. 
and when, uh, when there is a, a lot of challenges. So the Holy Spirit, John tells us, is going to, I've, I've broken it into really two things that it's going to do in this particular passage. And we can read lots more about the Holy Spirit in other passages in the scriptures. But in John's Gospel, he mentioned him in chapter 14. Again, in chapter 15, we read those verses. And now in chapter 16. In chapter 16, he's talking to, uh, the, the Spirit has a message to the world, and then he has a message to us. The message to the world. Sin is a big deal in God's eyes. And the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and the coming judgment. Now I find these verses somewhat challenging to understand and so I'm offering you some thoughts but I would encourage you to read them on your own and think more about them and see what uh, they speak to you. But sin is a big deal in God's eyes and we all know that it separates us from God. So it's a big problem for us as well because none of us have been able to meet, reach God's mark of perfection. We all miss that mark. And we can all quickly think of a list of sins that affect us or affect our society. We're good at thinking of sins that affect other people and less good at thinking of the ones that affect ourselves. And we're quick to judge it in others. But in these verses, we see that the Holy Spirit is primarily focused on the most devastating sin. And you're saying, which one is that of all the list of things that I can think of and I know some pretty terrible ones, but which one's the most devastating? Well, the, the scripture in this translation is quite uh, plain in that the most serious sin is the refusal to believe in Jesus. If you commit that sin, there's no hope for any of the other sins to be eradicated or to be dealt with. So the Holy Spirit's role is to convict people and convince them or to prove them wrong that Jesus is the answer for God's sin and the refusal to believe in him will lead to their condemnation. We are to trust in Jesus rather than in ourselves. And in this way the Holy Spirit is emphasizing the work of Jesus and that's his role. He wants the world to know that righteousness does not come from our actions or from anything that we do, but it is a state of being that uh, results from our belief in Jesus. God sees as righteous those who believe in him. He grants them the status of righteousness regardless of their other actions. It's amazing. He grants us the status of righteousness if we believe in Jesus regardless of what else. Paul makes that point in Romans chapter 4, verse 24, if you want to read it there. This righteousness is the result of the completed work of Jesus and that, that, that he accomplished on his return to the Father. The Holy Spirit wants to warn the world that a rejection of Jesus means that they are subject to the judgment that has already been announced on those who fail to accept him. 
The deliverance is offered to those who believe in Jesus. They stand, those who don't believe in him stand condemned already because they love the darkness rather than the light. And John makes that statement back in chapter 3 in verses 18 and 19. Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But the world stands condemned already if they have not accepted him because men love the darkness rather than the light. So, how does this work? How does the Holy Spirit um, bring this message to the world? Well, I think back in the last verses of chapter 15, we saw that the Holy Spirit would would testify about Jesus, but he said, Jesus said, you will also, you, his followers, will also testify about me. So there's a, a working together where the Holy Spirit does his work, but he uses Jesus' followers as agents to bring this message to the world. I want to introduce you to Dr. Rosario Butterfield. Some of you may have read about her or read her writings. This lady, back in 1997, was a university English professor with tenure at Syracuse University. No mean thing to accomplish that in her her early 30s. She was, I believe, atheistic, she would say, but maybe agnostic, I'm not quite sure. She was a strong proponent of feminism and uh, researched and wrote in that area. And she was living a gay lifestyle. She would describe herself as a postmodernist. I'll talk a bit more about that in a little while, but... uh, This was what she was at this time. An academic in a big university with tenure had made it. She published a critique in a newspaper of the Promise Keepers. Uh, Remember the Promise Keepers were a group of people that tried to encourage men, especially fathers, husbands, to live the kind of life that, that Jesus wanted them to live. She published a letter or she published an article about promise keepers and their gender politics, probably a very negative article about promise keepers. And then she got a lot of uh, replies in the mail. And she kept two boxes on her desk at that time, one for fan mail and one for hate mail. And so she would get letters from the people and she'd file them in one box or the other. And then she received a letter from Ken Smith. Ken was a local Presbyterian pastor and he wrote a kind letter and she called it an intriguing letter and invited her to call him. His letter asked a bunch of questions and and asked her to explore her presuppositions. She read and reread the letter many times and wasn't quite sure which box to put it in. (laughs) So it sat in the middle of her desk. Rosaria is a lady that doesn't like a cluttered desk. I don't know where the university found such a professor, (laughs) but there she was. She said she couldn't leave her desk with any scraps of paper on it by the end of the day. It all had to be looked after and filed away. But this letter sat there. Day, one day, two days. She read it again. She threw it out. She went through the recycling and dug it back out and put it back on her desk. 
A few more days went by. She reread it and read it again. She threw it out again. And then at the end of that day, she dug it out and put it back on their desk. So after a week of this, where this letter sort of sat in her space where it shouldn't be, she finally decided she would call Ken Smith. And they had a good conversation over the telephone, and she started to interview him, really, and sort of ask about all his beliefs. And he said, you know what? I can't really do this over the telephone very well, but I invite you to my house for dinner. And so come to my house, We'll have dinner and we'll talk about all of this stuff. And she accepted his invitation. So she went to dinner, said it was a, a great evening. She remembers so much about it. She remembers the supper, but the main thing she remembers about the supper was the prayer for the meal. And she said it was the first time that anyone had ever prayed and thought that there might be a real God to whom they were praying. You know, that she saw the reality of, uh, of God, and, that, and he prayed to God as if God cared. And that really struck her. So that launched her on a two-year intensive investigation of, uh, of the claims of scriptures and Christians. Now, I don't know, but she read the Bible more than once in those two years. I think she said five times. It's like she really dug into this. She read a lot of other stuff. She was a voracious reader. And after two years, she ended up praying that if Jesus was real, he would change her heart and give her the strength to follow him. Now, I think this is a tremendous example of the Holy Spirit at work through his agents as well as in in the hearts of people directly because it took the agent to write that letter. And it was the kind of letter that she needed to to read. And it was a very, uh, just the right, right words. So the Holy Spirit gave Ken Smith the right wisdom to write to her. But that letter burned in her heart, right? It sat there and it just kept eating away. What, who do you think was causing that to happen? I don't think that was just any, outs, uh, any uh, self sort of thing. It was the Holy Spirit, I believe, working to soften her heart through that letter. And then the meeting and the subsequent friendship that developed and the time of uh, fellowship and investigation, the Holy Spirit was at work, but the agents that, that followed Jesus were also at work. And it turned her uh, heart to consider the person of Jesus. You can read her story. I recommend uh, the book, The Secret Thoughts of an Unlikely Convert. Especially the first few chapters tell of her story in this way. So that's the, the message the Holy Spirit has to the world, and, and perhaps that's one way that he works out that message. But it's a, a challenge to us to remember that we are agents with him in his work. So what's the message uh, to us from the Spirit of Truth? Well, you've heard a lot in the last week about alternative facts. And uh, we've been kind of interested in in hearing about alternative facts. It's a new term. Uh, I think it'll last for a while. But the concept of truth has been having a tough time lately. Um, We've heard about these alternative facts and fake news. And uh, we now live in a post-modern age. Uh, If you're not familiar with that term, it's quite out there, quite uh, used a lot. The modern age... We thought we could eventually know everything uh, if we 
studied it intensely and carefully researched it and investigated it, we would come up with the knowledge and we would use that knowledge and it would be the right thing. It would be truth. Postmodernists tell us we can't really know anything with certainty. There's nothing we can be certain about. You know, postmodernists tend to get a little bit of a rough uh, rap, I think. But they do have a point. Because if you look at how much humanity and humans really know, we don't really know much. We, we know a lot of stuff. And I think postmodernism gets a little bit off the deep end when they tell us we can't uh, even use anything, but because obviously we know something and we use it and we are certain enough that we trust it. For example, we don't maybe know what uh, is all involved in a beam of light. Uh, We think we have theories and things like that. We don't really know for sure. But we sure are glad when we flip the switch in a dark room and the light comes on, we know to use the light. So we can use our knowledge in practical ways, but really there are limits to human knowledge. And really the human beings uh, know a lot less than we might think we do. But Jesus promised to send us the spirit of truth. Now the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God himself, God knows everything. And so he is actually qualified to reveal truth in its ultimate sense. But the focus that the Holy Spirit will bring is on Jesus. And Jesus himself said in John's Gospel, I am the truth. And so here we have God proclaiming that he will bring us the truth. The message to us will be a message of truth. He will apply uh, this truth by letting us know more about Jesus to understand what Jesus taught, to remind us of what Jesus said. Um, He will bring us the true message from Jesus and deliver it to us. So we have in, in the Holy Spirit a way of knowing, which, humanly speaking, we have no way of really knowing. So we're thankful for the, the one who Jesus sent The Spirit is not going to be the center of attention. He doesn't want to be in the limelight, so to speak. That's why I read it. The translation of the message in John chapter 16, verse 13 says, the Spirit won't draw attention to himself. That's just something to keep in mind, I think, when we're trying to make sense of unusual claims or unusual activities. Just remember that the Spirit said he was going to be focusing his work on Jesus. The Spirit will bring the words of Jesus to our lives. He will help us to recall and understand those words. And he will build our faith in Jesus. The Spirit will guide our behavior. It will help us to act like Jesus. He will help us to pray like Jesus. And he will help us to love like Jesus. The Spirit will help us point others to Jesus. He will give us words to speak or words to write. He will give us a concern for other people and that the world may see Jesus. I would invite you to sing a song that I found about the Holy Spirit. We've sung it before here, um, but I think it sums up those thoughts about the work of the Holy Spirit 
in our lives. Father in heaven, we are grateful for your gifts to us. We thank you for your Savior, and we thank you for the helper that came to be with us. We pray that he may have rule in our lives, that he may fill us, that he may empower us, that we would go forth to be your servants, your agents, and people who show others uh, Jesus in our lives. We pray in our dear Savior's name. Amen.